Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, hello, hello! I'm Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL Podcast. Urge you to check out the rest of the Locked On Network. We had Kyle Krabs on yesterday from the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, which is booming right now. Give me some feedback on that. Did you enjoy the draft show? I did. I thought it was good stuff. I'm going to try to get a Wednesday draft theme going. Uh, every week, I want to talk draft every Wednesday. And just and as we get closer and closer, get into lesser-known guys and dig deeper. But today is Twitter Thursday. So I'm just going to buzz through my Twitter feed here and answer some questions. Cool? Cool. Ian Glover, how much difference does it make for teams when don't know next playoff opponent until Sunday before? Um, no matter what, a bye is obviously very welcome. And those teams on a bye in the playoffs don't know who they're going to play the following weekend. However, you know, I mean, if you're the Chiefs and the Steelers are a big favorite... I th- you know, you don't just spend that first week doing nothing. You know, I mean, I, I think some way you can handle it a couple ways. I mean, I think some one one popular way is you take a couple of your staff guys and you say, hey, go prepare for the the, the Dolphins. or and, and then you take the majority of your staff and you say, prepare for the team most likely to be coming here. So uh, you still get two weeks to prepare. You, you have two weeks to self-scout, to look at your team. What are we doing wrong? Something, uh, some uh, a tactic some people use during bye weeks, you know, especially during the regular season, is you you tell your offensive staff to prepare as though you're playing your defensive staff and vice versa, and then you present it to the head coach and say, um, you know, and then the head coach can look at it and go, boy, I didn't realize that we were so easy to attack in that manner, or we have this many tendencies, uh, so that's one way to use that bye week off too. And no matter what, you still have as long as your opponent does to prepare for that game. You know, I mean, um, for example, I mean, the, the, the you know, the Patriots have like a day and a half longer of rest than the Steelers. And maybe they spent more time on Pittsburgh thinking that there was a better chance they would win against Kansas City or. Um, but I don't no matter what, I mean, a bye week's a huge, uh, huge help. Tyler. At Jelly Reloaded, which Patriots should Pittsburgh's defense be most concerned about stopping other than Brady? Of course, the answer would be Gronk, and I think the offense is much different without him. Uh, I think the obvious answer then is Edelman. You know, that Edelman is now the straw that stirs the drink in the passing game, and they're going to align him all over the place. I think they'll do their best to try to get him on Timmons or possibly on Shazier, or even a Sean Davis type. Um, and William Gay's probably the guy that the, the Steelers want on him the most. You know, he's more of a uh, slot-type corner. Even Edelman's quickness, I think, would give Artie Burns a lot of problems. Um, the, the Patriots throw deep more now, though, than they have in the past. So 
Hogan's health, I think, is a a big factor, and both Hogan and Edelman, I thought, were highly impressive this past week. Uh, I do think they'll take some shots to to Hogan. I don't think Bennett's quite the player he was earlier in the season. I think he's been battling a lot of injuries and it looks sluggish. Dion Lewis is obviously somebody to fear. I'm going to write an article about him today, uh, especially getting him on Timmons. I mean, that, that, that's something that they're going to try to do. I mean, so maybe it's not exact. Edelman's the answer to your question, but maybe the answer to the question is whoever Lawrence Timmons is guarding. So, okay. What else do we have here? All right. Eric Ruthling asked me, I know the importance of a QB. But when, but with so many holes on San Francisco and Chicago, what sense is it to grab a guy at two or three who doesn't measure up? Well, it depends what your final grades are. I mean, I can't condone taking <clears throat> the 20th ranked guy on your board at two or three just because he's a quarterback. I could condone it more for Chicago than San Francisco, though. I just think Chicago's way further along in their roster development than the Bears or than the, the Niners. You know, that I like their interior offensive line, running back, front seven. Yeah, they have holes. Um, and they also, both these teams are also going to address several of them in, in free agency, of course. Um, and I guess you still have Cutler out there, too. And, and Hoyer could maybe be back. I mean, you'll probably have one of those two under contract when the draft rolls around, too. The Niners need everything. And quarterbacks are number one need. And I think it would be a mistake to grab Watson, Kaiser, somebody like that, if, in fact, you don't have a super high grade on them and put him around a poor supporting cast, then he gets his head beat in, and there's nobody, there's no place, you know, caretaker, placeholder type guy. Although you would think the Niners would be in the market for a veteran of some sort before the draft hits too, because they have nobody on the roster. So, yes, you have to reach for quarterbacks. Like you said, you understand the importance of a quarterback. Um, I get that, you know, and sure, you have to push them up the board, not only to get them, but to, you know, have a chance in this league. But, especially in San Francisco's case, I think you need to add just sort of all the above. I mean, as much as you can, and don't pass on good players in any round at any position. Alan Samsum, at Alan Samsum, with free agency draft, how do you think the Eagles solve their wide receiver problem? I think they need one, and one stud. You know, I mean, to me, that has to be the goal is let's not use a second and third round pick on the receivers and think we have it fixed. It sounds like, and if you listen to the draft conversations the last two Wednesdays, especially two Wednesdays ago when Joe Marino was on, it sounds like Williams and Davis are clearly above the other wide receivers in this draft class. Um, It's too early for me to guess if they would still be there. When the Eagles pick with Minnesota's first-round pick, if they are, I think you pounce on that. Uh, a corner, obviously, would be of interest, too. Maybe by then you've signed Alshon Jeffrey or you know went out and, and, and grabbed yourself that number one receiver in, in free agency. And if by chance you did, then I think your tune changes. If you have a veteran you think you trust, um, 
then I don't think it's a terrible idea to also add a second or third round pick at the receiver position. I mean, the, the is the defense needs some assistance, but I, I always think it's a mistake whenever you handicap a young quarterback with a lot of ability. Um, so that that would be my strategy. I mean, the, the free agency wide receiver class isn't wonderful. Jeffrey's the top of the list. We will talk more free agents, and I did that on Tuesday too. go back and check out the top 50 list I just kind of spun through, but not a lot of receivers in there. So, uh, again, though, I mean, that, that to me is top priority for the Eagles, though, is getting a number one receiver. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. All right, all right. The next question up here on the docket... Ben Dovine, lots of mocks have Dalvin Cook. He's a really good running back for Florida State, if you don't know that. Uh, going to the Colts, is that the right move with the, right, you know, the wide receiver depth in this draft and their lack of talent? Uh, first of all, Ben and all you listening, one of my pet peeves are in January, should my favorite team draft this dude in the first round? Free agency is important, guys. You know, I mean... If you're looking at the Colts right now, I think their biggest needs are all over the defense. I'm not saying they fixed their offensive line, but I think it's better, and it's better than it's given credit for. I think their receivers and tight ends are fine. I think they would be crazy in what looks like a very running back heavy draft not to grab a running back, particularly one that catches the ball well, which it sounds like Cook does really well and is highly dynamic. So on the surface, sitting here on January 19th at 12.38 p.m., um, I'm fine with Cook or a first-round running back in general going to the Colts in the middle to later first round, you know, mid-first round. I think it would kind of complete the offense, bring Gore back for a year and have him tutor a rookie who would be better than, in that role than Gore. Let this dude get his feet wet, learn protections and that type of thing. And you may have a totally complete offense at that point. I'm not saying to ignore the offensive line at all, but you absolutely have to attack that defense, in my opinion, with preferably a lot of young, talented, speed-oriented draft picks. So running back probably wouldn't be my first choice to use a first-round pick on if I'm the Colts. Um but it wouldn't break my heart if it's if this if Cook is everything that he's cracked up to be as a real real difference maker in all phases. Young Yeet asks, if you're an NFL held coach or offensive coordinator, would you prefer to have a running back by committee or one feature back, and why? Uh, my first initial reaction is one feature back because that means that dude's really good. You know, <laughs> I mean the. Cowboys, Steelers, Cardinals might have a great backup, but they're not going to use a committee because they have a stud. So the obvious answer is I would rather have a stud. 
you know, give me Le'Veon Bell, Johnson, Elliott, Gurley. You know, I'd rather have a great player there than two really good ones or good ones. However, you know, I, I think when you're team building and the Patriots really come to mind here, that they're not going to use a first round pick on a running back. Um, they're always going to have, I, I say this all the time. I mean, LeGarrette Blunt and Deion Lewis both go to the running back media room and have RB next to their name, but they couldn't be any different type of football players, you know, and we've seen this from Belichick's whole tenure there, you know, Falk and Dylan and uh, Vereen and Ridley, and they always have two distinctly different types of backs, which gives them great flexibility. You know, when Brady's in the shotgun and they want to attack a team on a week-to-week basis, they want to attack a team through the air, they bring out their Vereen, Falk, Lewis, White guy, you know. Um, if, if it's you got a big lead or you think that their run defense isn't really good and you want to keep their base personnel on the field, then you bring out Blunt or Dylan or Ridley and you pound them into submission. So I think having that type of flexibility is really important there. You know, you also may get a returner out of them. You know, Deion Lewis took one to the house last week. That, that helps. Um, so... If all things are being equal, of course you want the great player. I mean, that's the obvious one. But I kind of like the versatility there of several different types of body types, skill sets to really exploit your opponent on a week-to-week basis as the Patriots do so incredibly well. My man StatApp, he's a big follower of mine on Twitter. Love him. Love it, dude. All the questions, all the retweets. Much appreciated, brother. Um, and all you out there that do that, much, much appreciate him. He asks, is James Harrison a Hall of Famer? He's playing unbelievable right now, and he's helping his cause, and certainly would help his cause if the Steelers happen to win the Super Bowl this year, and he has another big game, or, you know, a yet another big game on a, a national stage on Sunday, as well as he's been playing with the whole world to watch. I tend to think he's just on the outside looking in, though. I mean, there's a lot of good edge players from this time and this generation. You know, Jason Taylor just went up for free agent, you know, for um, he's eligible now. You know, I think a guy like Peppers or Freeney goes in ahead of Harrison. I would think a guy like Mathis goes in or even Allen are probably right behind Harrison. So maybe, you know, I, I would say a fringe guy there. And to me, the Hall of Fame isn't about fringe guys. I, mean, I love him. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's a big-time favorite around here. And uh, Bill Williamson asked, actually asked me the other day, he's writing something, and I urge you to check him out. And he's a good friend of mine and uh, work with him pretty pretty closely here in a lot of different things nowadays since we both left ESPN. But anyways, and we're not related, no relation. Um, anyways, uh, he had asked me, how many defensive players in Steelers history would you put above Harrison? Which is an interesting question. And uh, it's a pretty short list. And I, I forget exactly that. I want to make sure I don't overlook anyone. But I said Joe Green, Mel Blunt, Rod Woodson, Jack Ham, Jack Lambert. That brings me to five. Troy Polamalu. I would put, so I guess Harrison is like my sixth best Steeler defensive player of all time. We didn't know how to exactly rank Kevin Green because he has been all over the place. His time in Pittsburgh was tremendous. His career to me is above Harrison's. I thought Greg Lloyd was really close. Carnell Lake, LeVon Kirkland are in the conversation. Aaron Smith is in the conversation. He's the most underrated of all of them. 
Um, and, and there's a couple other great ones, obviously, from that Super 70s team. But in the end, I mean, Harrison's one of the six or seven best Steeler defensive players of all time, and all the guys ahead of him are either Hall of Famers or heading there. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Paul Hodges writes, I want to hear why Aquaman is the greatest superhero and would crush all challengers. I'm so glad you asked. And I didn't put you up to this, but this is conversations I've had on Football Today many times. Most underrated superhero, clearly. Aquaman is the, you know, doesn't get the credit, can be the butt of jokes, in fact. I mean, come on. Here's what I'm talking about. I think the world, the surface area, is either 71 or 72% water. Well, who rules the water? Aquaman. Alone. Unchallenged. And all those depths, too. He has the 71% of the Earth's crust all the way down to the bottom of the oceans. That's his territory. That's his turf. All alone. Unchallenged. And he controls every being in those areas. So, let's say Batman or Green Lantern or Wonder Woman wants to pick a fight with Aquaman. Or better yet, say one of you Jokers want to pick a fight with Aquaman. You know, you think you're tough. You go and you challenge him. He doesn't even have to pull out his A, B, C, D team. He pulls out his Z team and he summons every crab on the planet to just chomp you up. Millions of crabs just nipping at your toes and tearing you up. Or if he feels like it, he throws a grouper in there. Or a killer whale. Or a blue whale. Or if you're really unhappy, he pulls five great whites to just tear you up. He never fights outside his turf. He doesn't have any problem. He doesn't walk into Chicago and want to battle Superman. He's chill. I mean, he's got it made. He's got his turf. People come visit him. It might be a slightly lonely life. It might be. But his powers are immense. He owns every creature in the sea is on call, dude. He'll call up every killer whale to fight Superman. And yeah, Superman would take out 90% of them, but then every great white comes and shows up and tears them up. I mean, come on. And that's not even Aquaman fighting. That's him chilling with his chalice and his trident or whatever that is in, in his chair down at the bottom of the sea with all his mermaids hanging out, partying it up. I mean, Aquaman's got the best life going. And if and people want to visit him, you know, hey, come spend the weekend down in Atlantis. I mean, it's a pretty cool spot. I'll set you up. Aquaman's the man. I mean, come on. Think about it for a little bit. He owns three quarters of the world. Everyone else is fighting for the rest. It's the best life ever. Rubilicious, another one of my Twitter favorites. Much praise to you and thank you for all you do on Twitter for me, Rubilicious. Out of the last four quarterbacks left, which one would you not want to have in the playoffs? Well, that's a pretty good foursome there, brother. I mean, Ben's going to the Hall of Fame. Rodgers going to the Hall of Fame. Brady's going to the Hall of Fame. Brady and Rodgers might compete for the best ever award. Ryan is probably the MVP and is playing at an unbelievable level. I think the obvious choice people would say is Ryan because he doesn't have rings and I didn't say he's a Hall of Famer and can he do it in the big game? Um, 
Rodgers is certainly the one I have the most confidence in now, and that's, that's changed. I mean, I wonder a little, I'm a little, little, little spectacle, skeptical of Brady. You know, old guy getting hit a lot late in the season, didn't play great this last week. I mean, he'll probably carve the Steelers up. I mean, little, little, little concern. Um, Rodgers, to me, is just a superstar, superstar, and playing at the best level we've ever seen. So I have the most faith in him, then Brady, then Ryan, then Ben. I mean, Ben clearly, to me, has had the worst season of these fantastic four quarterbacks. When you factor in the road, you know, where he's going to play potentially his next two games, and I didn't think he was very good against the Chiefs, especially by these elite standards. I mean, he's better than Alex Smith. Um, but Ben, to me, is the one I have the least confidence in. And I think of all the teams, and we've seen that, that's been part of the Steelers' run, is they become a run-first team. And in some ways, you know, by, again, these high standards, they're shielding or protecting or camouflaging their quarterback a little bit because he throws too many of the wrong team is really the problem. Um, so he's the one that I would worry most about. But, again, it's an awesome foursome to finish with. That's pretty great. Kevin, K.R. Morency asks, between Dak, Wentz, and Goff, who has the best chance of developing into a top-tier quarterback? Uh, Goff is definitely last. I mean, from what we know now, again, in late January, I understand he was the first one picked. And I'm not saying that he's a bust at all. But he's done nothing good at all at the NFL level. For many reasons, not all his fault, obviously. But I'm not putting a chip on Goff if I have those three in front of me. I think all of you, or many of you, would take Prescott. And I like Dak a lot. And I've really come around on him. And I am very much a believer. I love his mental makeup. I think he's physically talented. But I'm smitten with Wentz. I want Wentz. And this is going to sound ludicrous. But if you give me Prescott, Wentz, Goff, Mariota, Winston... Bortles, Carr. I know Carr's been really good. I still might take Wentz. I really think he's going to be a star. I think he's going to be an Andrew Luck level star, top five, six, seven quarterback in this league, maybe at some point of his career, especially after the Rodgers, Brady, Ben, Rivers generations move on. Uh, I think Wentz might be the number one quarterback in all the land. I really think he has everything you want and I know that he wasn't as dominant late in the season and all that but I have extreme extreme faith in Wentz all right let's take one more to wrap this up go Pats at go Pats 79 asks do Super Bowl rings help Hall of Fame consideration or purely an individual award is Terry Bradshaw an A more like a A minus part of a dynasty I'm not exactly sure what that last sentence is supposed to read like. Um, Super Bowl rings have a ton of Hall of Fame consideration and carry a ton of weight. Um, You know, Eli Manning versus Rivers. I I bet Eli goes in before Rivers, and I don't think he's been as good a player, Uh, especially with quarterbacks. I also think it helps, like, offensive linemen, too, that, you know, that aren't real... And on Sports Center, or, or you know, they're not all over highlight films to say, yeah, and he's got two rings. I mean, obviously, those are very good resume builders. Or Ray Lewis was the best defensive player on the best defense that won it because of their defense. Or Von Miller. Or, you know, I'm just pulling stuff off my head. Of course, it has a lot of weight. Um, and honestly, I think it has too much weight. You know, that some of these guys, 
that are tremendous, tremendous football players, and then you hear guys, yeah, but you never, what do you ever win? You know, or Cortez Kennedy, you know, he never won anything. He can't go to the Hall of Fame. Shut up. He was a stud. You know, I mean, so uh, it's a team game, and I think individual, you know, to blame an individual, even like a Marino. I mean, are you kidding me? He never won a ring, though. He, he can't be one of the best ever. You're, you're bonkers. Of course, it has a lot of weight, but I do think in the general eye and in the Hall of Fame eye, it has too much weight. As for Bradshaw, I think what people don't realize is those first two Steelers Super Bowls, Bradshaw was sort of a placeholder. I mean, they were the best defense in all the land. Good line with a Franco-led, another Hall of Famer, running game. And Bradshaw made throws, you know, to two really good receivers, Stallworth and Swan. Um, and he's a first overall pick in the draft, Bradshaw. Highly, highly talented player that could have that had a rocket for a right arm and was, you know, today's Andrew Luck or whatever. I mean, one of the best, Matthew Stafford, you know, one of the best throwers of the football out there immediately as soon as he walked on the field, as well as a very good athlete. Um, but... Uh, you know, he, he was great in all those Super Bowls. But the last two, the offense was much more Bradshaw-driven than running-driven. And the, really, their best team is the the one right before their third Super Bowl. Their defense, go back and look at the, 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 the stats of the Steelers' defense. I think, what's that, 76? Um, it's probably, to me, in my opinion, the best defense ever. They lost Bradshaw and their top two running backs that year, and they just basically shut every team out, and they couldn't get past the Raiders. But anyways, from that point on, Bradshaw was the the, the, main, the main part of that Steelers offense. They threw deep a lot, a very un-Chuck Knoll uh, way of playing offense with bombs to Swan and Stallworth over and over. Um, I absolutely think he's a Hall of Famer all day long. Maybe he's an A minus. I mean, one of, I, I did one of these shows, one of our locked on shows, where I ranked my top ten quarterbacks of all time, and Bradshaw was eleventh. So you're the eleventh best quarterback that ever lived, and there's probably some debate. Maybe he should be nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen in that neighborhood. You know, I think Staubach's the only quarterback from that era that I put ahead of him. You know, that predominantly played in the seventies. I put guys like Drew Brees ahead of him, barely. Um, you know, I put guys like Dan Fouts behind him. Um, so to me, that's a Hall of Famer all day long. Maybe he's not an A-plus Hall of Famer. And you got to remember, too, I mean, even Staubach, comparing numbers from those quarterbacks in the 70s when it was just starting to be cool to throw the ball. I mean, Drew Brees does that in a month, what those guys did in a year. I mean, times have changed dramatically. And I always say, can you imagine if Marino was playing today? You know, I think he'd set every record. And the same is true for Staubach or Bradshaw or whatever. Their rec- their numbers would be dramatically better, as is the case with Swan and Pearson and all the great receivers and um, you know passers of that era. So I don't know exactly what you're asking about Bradshaw. To me, he's a Hall of Famer all day long. He's the 11th best quarterback in the history of the game. That by itself stands alone. The four rings is probably his number one accomplishment. Four rings in six years is pretty freaking good. And he was instrumental in those. He was not a caretaker. He was not Brad Johnson for the Tampa Bay team by any stretch. Um, I'm not sure if the younger generation knows that and probably just remembers him from being on TV and whatnot. So 
whatever. Um, good stuff. And I'm actually looking over my right shoulder. I have a one of my favorite things in my basement is Bradshaw in his early years on the sidelines. It looks like before a game with the biggest side chew you've ever seen in your life in his left cheek, you know, just bulging out a big thing, a Levi or red man or something. And he's leaning over to the chief art Rooney, the founder of the Steelers, who's got the biggest stogie you've ever seen in your, in his mouth. And I bet Rooney's probably 85 years old in this picture. And Bradshaw's got a lighter lighting it up for the chief, you know, and it's an awesome picture. Uh, I have taken pictures of it and put it up on Twitter. I guess I should do that again now. But very cool. Anyways, enough Steeler, enough homerism from me. You guys got me on a Bradshaw kick, and I'm looking over my right shoulder, and there's that, that photo. So we will talk both these games in heavy detail tomorrow. Make my picks then. Spread the word on Locked on NFL. And remember, Aquaman is the greatest of them all and the most underrated. Over and out.